Hello, and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick. The world is increasingly technological, so we have better get methodical. Bringing precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of the modern monocle. Stopping the copyright bullies from pulling the wall on us. Facing and taking on all the plates to pay to troll. Document the ways that they aim to take control. Scrutinizing through their lies and make them fall. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. Uh, last year, we had a member of the European Parliament, Yulia Reda, on the podcast to talk about just how insane parts of the EU copyright directive were shaping up to be. Uh, specifically in that podcast, we talked about the significant problems with both Articles 11 and 13 of the proposed directive. Uh, we recorded that podcast in June of last year, uh, which was right before a key vote in the EU Parliament that actually rejected the text at the time and sent it back somewhat to the drawing board. Uh, as you probably know by now, in the fall, the EU Parliament approved a somewhat modified version of the text, which resulted in a, well, extended period of negotiations between the Parliament, uh, the EU Council, and the EU Commission uh, before a compromise version was worked out in uh, January. Uh, the compromise was still kind of horrible, in my opinion, and the two sections that we talked about remained very problematic. Unfortunately, just a couple of weeks ago, the EU Parliament voted to approve this version, making it quite likely that the EU Copyright Directive will become official policy in the EU in the near future. Uh, to discuss where things stand uh, and what all of this means, uh, Yulia Reda is joining us again. So uh, welcome back to the podcast. Hi, I'm happy to be back. <laughs> I wish you were back for better circumstances. Definitely, than, yeah. Than, than what we have. So, uh, so let's talk first about, um, well, uh, I guess the vote a few weeks ago. What happened yeah. there? Okay, so this was the final vote uh, in the European Parliament. So both European Parliament and the Council, so the national governments have to approve this law. And our goal in the European Parliament was not to reject the directive altogether, but to delete these two most uh, problematic articles, uh, the upload filter provision, Article 13, which is now known as Article 17 in the final text, and uh, the so-called link tax, the new neighboring right for press publishers. Um, the vote uh, was uh, kind of extremely close, uh, first of all. So there was a vote whether to allow uh, the voting of amendments to the text or to adopt it unchanged. And in the vote, whether or not to allow uh, the, uh, the voting of amendments, we were just five votes short um, of a majority. So it was extremely close. There was a lot of um, activity and lobbying um, up until the last moments. And on the weekend before the vote, there were huge protests against uh, especially the upload filters in Germany with a, about 200,000 people participating. And we could see that uh, in the countries where there had been major protests, so Germany, Poland, Austria, Luxembourg, the vast majority of the MEPs voted against. So uh, the positive message in a way is that protesting on these issues really does work. But mm. unfortunately, um, in the end, we did not get a majority because we were unable to really spread this protest movement quickly enough to all of the European Union. And so overall, 
it received a majority in parliament. And now there is just one final step uh, before the uh, complete adoption of the law, which is the final vote in the Council of National Governments, which uh, will take place on Monday, on April 15. Okay, and um, and so and they're basically just voting on the same text that that the parliament approved. That's right, and uh, the council previously already approved this text at a kind of informal level, so it's less likely uh, to be able to stop it now. But uh, there is a bit of hope because uh, the Swedish government uh, apparently will change its position, so it is possible hmm. um, that countries can still change their position. But in order to actually reject uh, the deal, we would need one of the large countries such as Germany or the UK uh, to change their stance. And um, the position of Germany is particularly confusing where you have one coalition partner in favor and the other one who voted against it in the European Parliament, but uh, so far appears to be unwilling to um, kind of stand up for their position in the coalition government. Hmm. Interesting. Um, so, yeah, and so that, that vote happens next week. That's right. Um, and then, so if that does go for, oh, well, one quick thing on the, on the parliament vote, um, we had written something. There was some, some issue where some of the MEPs claimed that they had voted incorrectly on the, on the vote about the amendments. Um, yeah. And, and the, the final tally uh, suggested if that was accurate, and there's some, some people who claim that, that, some of those MEPs may be just saying that they voted incorrectly rather than actually having voted incorrectly. Um, but that, that in theory, would have changed the vote and allowed for amendments. Yeah, that's right. So since there was a five-vote difference, it would have been enough if three of those members who voted against uh, amendments, uh, if three of them had voted in favor. And it is probably the case that there were at least three people who voted wrong. Um, I'm not. I don't think that every single person who has claimed uh, or mm -hmm. retroactively changed their vote is doing so genuinely. I think there is also an <laughs> element um, that a lot of MEPs were unsure how to vote, and there is a surprisingly large number of those uh, unsure MEPs on the list of people who retroactively huh. changed their votes. So I don't think all of them genuinely just hit the wrong button but i think maybe they expected we were going to lose anyway and wanted to be on the winning side and then were sort of <laughs> surprised that it was this close and possibly felt bad um which i think probably also goes to show that the biggest mistake perhaps that the critics um, of the proposal made was thinking they had already lost. I mean, this was a feeling that was quite prevalent after the uh, parliament vote in September, where yeah. a lot of groups who had vocally been outspoken against the proposal before just didn't really uh, think there was a chance. And I think some of the rights holders um, successfully spread the rumor that the vote in September was really clear when actually it wasn't. And so I think that might have been part of the reason why we lost that basically some people gave up a bit too soon while mm. there were these huge protests uh, forming in Germany, but uh, not in a lot of other countries. Um, that said, I think some people probably genuinely did hit the wrong button. But what I want to really uh, speak out against is this claim that was made by some that somehow the parliament procedure 
was confusing or that hmm. the uh, amendment was confusingly presented or anything like this. That was really not the case. I okay. think um, it was just that perhaps some uh, more Eurosceptic MEPs that are not used <laughs> to working uh, in the parliament and usually <laughs> just kind of follow the group line and don't really know what's going on. Like maybe it was surprising to them because they never really do their homework, <laughs> you know. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's a very diplomatic way of putting it. <laughs> um, interesting. Yeah, because there there were some comments on that, and, and we had written about that. Um, yeah. Basically, I think one of the spokespeople for one of the MEPs had had suggested that there was confusion, and there was there was some video that that. Um, yeah, it it must have looked confusing to an outside yeah. observer, but I think what actually happened is a little bit more sinister than that because uh, the chair of the committee, which is the president of the European Parliament, mm -hmm. uh, who is a conservative MEP from Italy, Antonio Tajani, um, he was chairing the meeting. And I think when he saw how many of his own party colleagues were voting for the motion to allow amendments, so were basically voting with us, uh, he said, oh, there seems to be some confusion in the room about what we're voting, wow. while his party's whips were kind of frantically gesticulating and trying <laughs> to get people to change their vote. So I don't think there was genuine confusion, but oh. rather that uh, the president was possibly trying to manipulate the outcome. Wow. Um, but, wow. you know, like, uh, it's impossible <laughs> to tell whether somebody really did change their position right. in that split second. But definitely all those EPP members, so the conservatives who voted with us, uh, they were really uh, taking a great risk and sticking their heads out because there was intense pressure on them to support the proposal. And I can imagine that this maneuver might have intimidated some of them. Right. Interesting. Wow. It's... That's fascinating. Um, of course, you know, in the end, you know, it, it doesn't matter, I guess, no. the, the vote, the vote happened. And so, um, so now on Monday, there'll be uh, this other vote. And then if that, assuming that does go through, we can still hope that maybe something will change and, and, and some other country, Germany or, or, or possibly the UK, though, it seems unlikely might, might actually um, throw a wrench in this. If, if they do reject it, then what happens? Um, so if they reject it, then the directive is not completely rejected, but there is no agreement between mm -hmm. Parliament and Council, which means that it cannot enter into effect. And then negotiations would have to continue with the new European Parliament. So, um, yeah, it's unlikely. I mean, the yeah. UK has throughout the process supported the deal. What I find pretty funny, though, is that uh, one of the Tories, uh, Boris Johnson, yeah. <laughs> tweeted uh, that, uh, so he said the EU copyright directive is an example of bad EU legislation, and after Brexit, we will take back control and we will not implement it. And that's, of course, a complete lie, because his own party and his own <laughs> government has voted for the law, and if they didn't, right. it wouldn't be adopted. So, right. um, yeah, and I mean... I can hope that maybe in the UK, because they published this white paper on uh, online disinformation and hate yeah. speech yesterday that made quite a lot of, uh, or quite a big stir, um, or earlier in the week, I should say, uh, 
uh, that maybe there will be more of a discussion on internet freedoms in the UK in the coming days. But of course, everybody is so distracted by Brexit. And right. yeah, so I think the only hope we have are the German Social Democrats. And that's really, um, yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah. I, I wish they were to stand up for what they believe in, but it's not, uh, it's not looking like it at the moment. Right, right. And so, um, and, you know, for people who, who don't understand, so this is, this is a directive, which, and correct me if I'm wrong, and I may very well be wrong. Uh, a directive then means that each of the member states then has to implement um, their own regulations that match the directive in, in some form. So, so there is some variability in how the different countries may actually implement this, right? That's right, yeah. So there's some room. Uh, of course, every member state has to implement the directive in their national copyright law, and they can't do it in a way that is contradictory to what the directive says. But there is certainly a lot of vague stuff and a lot of legal uncertainty in there. So, for example, uh, when it comes to the upload filters, the directive says that... Uh, this obligation only applies to platforms that host large amounts of copyright protected uh, user uploaded content. And it would be up to the member states, for example, to decide what is considered a large amount. And mm -hmm. there you can, of course, uh, you know, decide whether you want to cover small discussion forums and uh, online communities that, you know, don't really do any harm to rights holders at all. Um, or whether you really want to go for the really big platforms. Right. But of course, you know, if, if you're building a platform that you want to be reachable across the EU, you're most likely going to have to uh, comply with the most restrictive of those laws, right? Unless you want to build sort of different rules for each, each country, which would kind of go against the whole point of the, the, the copyright directive in the first place, which was supposed to lower barriers for sort of EU-wide services, right? Yes, exactly. So um, it's unless you are a platform that is only targeting one national market and you don't mind having to geoblock other countries or you have no intention of growing larger, then you could try to just comply with your national implementation of uh, the upload filter provision. But uh, if you want to operate in the entire EU, then you do have to look at what the more strict uh, interpretations are saying. And that's, I mean, it's, it's really ironic because the entire point of this directive was to make it easier for digital business to scale across the EU. Like that was the original intention to build uh, this European single digital mm -hmm. market. And it's really completely failing at that goal and making the situation worse. Yeah. Um, and we've sort of gone into this discussion on the, with the assumption that, that everyone knows what Article 11 and Article 13 are, and I don't want to sort of rehash that, but just for listeners who are, who somehow have missed all of the discussions on this, um, at the very least, go back and listen to our previous podcast where we sort of get into the, into the, the weeds on that. Um, I don't, I don't want to rehash it, but, but just in case people are listening to this and are a little confused, uh, I would recommend going back and listening to that podcast, um, or, or reading any of the many, many things that, that we've written about, uh, both article 11 and article 13. Uh, um, so in terms of, you know, what happens now already, you know, I know some countries are already talking about, 
um, you know, putting this into effect, I know that um, there was a speech given by the the French uh, culture minister, I think, um, where he was talking about actually trying to implement the law, you know, by by the summertime, yeah, um, and and trying to to move forward on 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 that. Is there is there a sort of a timeline under which countries have to implement a law? Yeah. So the the uh, provided that the council votes in favor of the law on 15th of April, uh, the countries are going to have two years to implement it into national law. And uh, there are, of course, examples where member states have failed to meet that deadline, in which case they can be fined by the European Commission. But uh, so basically it's two years. And um, there is kind of a difficult strategic decision to make for governments who don't like this proposal. I mean, there is a significant number of countries uh, who are against and who are going to vote against in council. Um, including Luxembourg, Netherlands, Poland, Italy, um, and Finland, and now also probably Sweden, which um, seems to have changed position. And they are in a difficult position because on the one hand, they're going to have to implement it and they could decide to just kick the can down the road and maybe hope that a different government will have to do it. But of course, if that government is more supportive of uh, the goals of the directive, it might end up implementing it in a more extreme way right. and i think the eagerness of the of the french government is also uh partially explained by the fact that whoever implements it first is going to be looked at as a role model for other countries like uh, not every country has the same resources and the same number of experts on this stuff and if they don't really know how to implement it it's likely that they look at what other countries are doing yeah, and and it should be noted that, um, and this may be a slight generalization, but it, it appears that France has uh, takes a fairly extreme viewpoint on all of this. I mean, they, that's they... a completely fair <laughs> assessment. I mean, their position on copyright is uh, the most uh, extreme, I would say, of all the member states, and their um, yeah, their government is also extremely um, active in lobbying for these proposals. I mean, uh, even to the extent that um, when Germany was unwilling to vote for the proposal, apparently they made some kind of secret uh, deal between Germany and France, uh, which was reported by one of the major German newspapers by which uh, Germany was promised concessions in the building of the Russian gas pipeline uh, North Stream in exchange for their support for the copyright proposal. So that kind of tells you how important uh, a, a very strict copyright law is for France if they consider throwing this in the pot with important geopolitical decisions like uh, energy dependency from Russia. Yeah, yeah. And 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 part of the thing that they were pushing for there in that, in, in that uh, negotiation was whether or not there would be, you know, uh, exemptions or exceptions for for smaller platforms. And yeah, France, that's right. France didn't want that, and and Germany did, right? That's right. And the end result is that France has completely won that uh, conflict. There is still a sort of startup exception in the text, 
but it is one by name only because it only applies in the first three years of existence of a startup and only if it has uh, less than 10 million turnover a year and less than 5 million unique visitors. And uh, I've asked some people if they know any such platform that fulfills <laughs> those requirements. Uh, they are so unreasonably strict that no startup will be able to benefit from that. Like even if they are less than three years old, nobody's going to invest in them if their base business model becomes un, un uh, obtainable after three years. I mean, yeah. Um, yeah. 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 That's, uh, it's bizarre. Um, and it was, it was, uh, frankly, somewhat annoying to see people can, uh, support who were supportive of the directive continue to point to that as if they had made some grand concession to, to startups. Yeah. I mean, the funny thing is that all the rhetoric about the proposal is sticking it to YouTube and Facebook. And YouTube and Facebook have turnover in the billions. Yeah. So there is no way that a exception up to 10 million euros would have in any way benefited those large platforms that are supposedly the target of this directive. But it would have incredibly helped all of those discussion forums out there that may be commercial but are really small scale operations. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and, and one of the other things that we pointed out is that, um, you know, throughout all of this, the supporters of it have made very clear or, or tried to make clear uh, in, in what I would consider to be a bit of disinformation or propaganda that, um, you know, Article 13, the uh, upload filters, censorship filters, whatever you want to call it, didn't actually require filters. Yeah. Um, and, and of course, now that that it is, you know, mostly approved, they're saying, well, of course, they, everyone needs to get filters. Yeah, that's true. I mean, the the presentation has certainly changed quite a bit. And that is putting Germany in a very awkward position, because actually, both of the German coalition partners have said that they don't want upload filters. It's even part of their coalition agreement. And they huh. have been trying to somehow weasel out of this. So the German <laughs> conservatives have been saying that they will implement the uh, provision into their national law in a way that doesn't require filters. But, um, well, as you just explained, it's pretty questionable whether that is actually possible. And uh, the Social Democrats uh, have been trying to uh, now get some sort of guarantee for that to basically add a protocol notice to their approval of the proposal in council that would clarify that at least smaller platforms would not have to use filters. But the conservatives don't actually want that. So there is still a fight going on between the coalition partners. Personally, I would be surprised if that fight escalates to the extent where Germany has to vote against or even abstain, which might be mm. enough to stop the law. Um, but basically, both of them have said they don't want filters. And now it looks like the only way to avoid filters is to actually vote against the law in council. Huh. Interesting. I mean, the the directive specifically does require that in certain cases you would have to uh, platforms would have to block, um, you know, re-uploading of infringing material. Yeah. Um, and I don't see how that is possible without filters. Right. That's right. I mean, I think essentially the proposal is putting platforms in an almost impossible situation because on the one hand, it says that you have to try everything you can according to highest uh, industry standards 
to prevent the re-upload of copyrighted material, which mm -hmm. would indicate that you have to use something like Content ID or Audible Magic or future equivalents of those filters for content other than music, because most of the filters we know today are really specialized in music yeah. and already produce quite a lot of problems. But at the same time, I mean, we know that Content ID, Audible Magic and so on filter perfectly legal content all the time. Um, yeah. At the same time, the proposal says that the platform's measures may not lead to the deletion of legal content. Right. But how is a platform supposed to do that? <laughs> like, I mean, it's nice that they say that, that they recognize the danger of that legal content will be deleted. But by simply writing into a law that the platforms must prevent that from happening doesn't tell the platform what they are actually supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's that's been my problem with it. You know, and and people uh, again, supporters of of the directive have continually pointed to those things as as proof that it won't lead to censorship, and and the fact that the the directive also says you know that that you shouldn't take down parody and and things yeah. like that. But, but how? Like, right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. There's no mechanism for how, and and it doesn't seem to recognize the reality, which we know with with systems, you know, content ID in particular, which is you know, the Google has spent apparently you know over a hundred million dollars developing content ID, and we know that that takes down you know legitimate content all the time. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, and, and again, you know, as you pointed out, that's really just focused mostly on, on audio and some video. Yeah. Um, and yet, you know, the copyright directive applies to lots of other things, in, including text and pictures. Um, yeah. And, and we so, don't, yeah. yeah, I think the most likely outcome is that we're going to see a lot of kind of snake oil salesmen uh, <laughs> presenting the new great upload filter that can supposedly detect... Uh, you know, all kinds of copyrighted material and uh, platforms may have to buy those inferior products because the directive says that they have to use them if they're available on the market, essentially. So right. it's, it's creating a huge new business model for companies that want to sell their mediocre upload filters that don't really work. <laughs> um, so if you're looking for a business idea, that might be one. <laughs> but I think for the platforms, it's really an unattainable uh, uh, goal to have a filter that works perfectly, which is kind of what is required by this law. Like you have to prevent the upload of infringements, but you have to also prevent the deletion of anything legal. Um, right. So I think there is probably a good case to be made if this is not somehow softened in the national implementation that platforms could sue against that. Um, mm. Also, possibly, I would say, because the hosting safe harbor, so this idea that hosting providers are not liable for the uploads by their users is actually included in a number of trade agreements. And right. it's kind of ironic that I'm saying this because I voted against those trade agreements. For example, <laughs> uh, CETA between uh, uh -huh. Canada and the EU says that both Canada and the EU must have a hosting safe harbor. And now hmm. we have a directive that is essentially dismantling that for copyrighted content. So I think we're going to see a lot of litigation around fundamental rights, around trade, um, and it's going to be extremely messy. 
Yeah. And so, I mean, where would that litigation most likely take place? Is Are these like uh, European Court of Justice? Is this World Trade Organization kind of issues? Is yeah, it I think... I think it depends who is suing, but I think mm -hmm. for most litigation, you would probably have to wait for a concrete national implementation. And mm -hmm. then, um, so if you're a citizen and you say that your fundamental rights are restricted, let's say your freedom of expression, or uh, you're a business owner and your freedom to conduct a business is restricted, you would have to sue based on a specific national implementation. So that would probably only happen two years from now. Um, mm. I'm not really an expert in the trade uh, area, if this would end up in this multilateral investment court or something like mm -hmm. this. Uh, I just found it interesting that basically the EU doesn't seem to care very much about its trade obligations in this case, right. because <laughs> otherwise, like whenever we're dealing with IP issues like access to medicines, <laughs> right. for example, the argument is always, oh, no, we can't uh, be more flexible on access to medicines because of our trade obligations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I have, I, we don't have to go down that rabbit hole, but that's a, that's a point I've been arguing for years about how, how certain industries have have leaned hard on, on international trade agreements as a way to block certain regulations. And yet, it's interesting that in this case is of course, totally ignored when, when the issue is in the other direction, effectively. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's kind of, kind of in, incredible. Um, do, do we think that, or, you know, do, I mean, you mentioned how the, there's now a, a wonderful business opportunity to become a snake oil salesman with, with uh, very bad filters. Um, do you think that this will have, uh, you know, basically for for every other kind of internet startup uh is, is this gonna is, does this make europe sort of a difficult place to to be a to be a startup um well europe is already quite a difficult place <laughs> to be a startup and this is certainly making it worse um because as as a startup if you have a business model um that's not enough you also have to convince investors that this business model is likely to succeed in the longer run. And you're probably going to have a harder time doing that now yeah. because, uh, well, there, in the next two years, there's just going to be huge legal uncertainty whether your platform constitutes, you know, uh, one of those platforms that have to use filters, like what is large amounts of content. Um, like the definition of affected platforms has a lot of vague terms. It also includes organizing and promoting user uploads for profit-making purposes. Does that mean something like Reddit? Is an upvote-downvote function enough to say this platform is organizing and promoting? Or are we talking about things like monetization on YouTube? Pretty unclear. And right. as a startup, if your business is somehow similar to that, even if it's like a new crowdfunding platform, you're going to have to worry that you will be covered by this. Um, I think also the environment for startups overall is getting much more difficult in Europe at the moment um, because there is kind of a knee-jerk reaction against uh, elements of the internet or aspects of the internet that especially older politicians don't like. And yeah. uh, we're also seeing this with the terrorism regulation, which is another piece of legislation that we're discussing yeah. at the moment. 
Yeah, so I, so I actually did want to talk about that as well. I, I've written a few times about it, and in, in that, you know, I, I've argued that that is, um, you know, for everyone who's concerned about the copyright directive, the the terrorist content regulation uh, should be even more concerning. Um, and so that just as a, a quick description, and again, feel free to correct me, but like as I understand it, there there are um, the idea is that there will be rules put in place in which platforms, if they are notified by I think the the term is a competent authority, which right. is, is not clearly defined. Um, that some content is terrorist content. That platforms then have one hour to to delete that content. Yeah. Um, and, um, and and that seems to apply even to companies that are not based in Europe. Um, that if they are available in Europe, they need to have some sort of representative on call 24 hours in Europe who can, uh, you know, access your servers and take down whatever content is deemed to be to be terrorist content. And just to add to that, and perhaps worst of all, it's not even limited to companies. It's literally any hosting provider, so any website where users can publicly upload material that is not being filtered or pre-moderated. Mm. So a blog with an unmoderated comment function, a discussion forum, a guest book, all of that would fall under the proposal, even if it's not run by a company, but by an individual. Yeah, which is insane. I mean, <laughs> it just <laughs> seems like this is going to lead to just massive censorship uh, yeah. all over the place. Yeah, I think... Uh, I mean, the commission proposal, so the original proposal for this legislation is extremely bad and extremely far-reaching because, I mean, it doesn't just include this one-hour rule, it also includes the possibility for authorities to order a platform to use upload filters, even mm -hmm. AI-based upload filters. So I'm not just talking about kind of a fingerprint database, but the, uh, the competent authority can order a platform to use AI to try to detect future terrorist content, <laughs> which of course is going to lead to just insane false positive rates. Right. Mm, and it also uh, gives the possibility for the authorities to enforce the platform's own private terms and conditions, which is also kind of strange. So basically, yeah. the police could send a message to Facebook saying, hey, this is violating your community standards. Don't you want to take it down, even if it's perfectly legal? And um, in the parliament, we now have a really strange situation because the committee that is responsible for dealing with this proposal has actually removed most of the problematic elements. Um, mm. So it has removed the obligation to use upload filters entirely. And it has also removed this possibility for privatized law enforcement. So the only really bad element that is left is the one hour deletion deadline. Mm. And now we're going to have a, a vote in the European Parliament uh, next week where the supporters of uh, this proposal are going to try to make it worse again, like possibly reintroduce the upload filters. And huh. the opponents are going to try to get rid of the one hour deadline. <laughs> but that means it could get better. It could also get worse in the final vote. Oh, wow. <sighs> <laughs> I I I I apologize, but I feel like I'm just like fighting this constant battle 
against the EU destroying the internet. <laughs> it's exhausting. <laughs> well, I mean, you always have to also look where this is coming from. I mean, the idea for this one hour deadline was actually originally formulated by Theresa May. So maybe this is like her final uh, revenge <laughs> uh, with the EU. So like, like I wouldn't blame the EU as such because there are always some national governments that come yeah. up with this stuff. And also the G7 um, actually had something in their conclusions uh, recently where they also asked for this one hour deadline. And a lot of it is now being fueled by the discussion around the, the Christchurch um, yeah. attack. And as terrible as that was, um, as far as I know, Facebook removed the video within 17 minutes. Yeah. after it was uh, put online. So basically, this proposal would not have changed anything about that because by the time a competent authority would have asked Facebook to take it down and then to go an hour from that, uh, that would have been much slower than uh, as quick as Facebook actually acted. So it wouldn't have changed anything. Also, upload filters would not have helped because this was a completely new live stream Nobody, you know, knew that this, this was going to happen. And so it's, you know, it's very populist and also effective to say that we need this regulation because of Christchurch. But if you actually think about it, it would not have changed anything in the situation. And 17 minutes is already uh, acting extremely quickly. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, part of the other thing with it was that a lot of people did re-upload the video yeah. and, and Facebook blocked a lot of them. But they said, you know, part of the challenge was that people who were uploading it were, were changing the video a little bit to try to, to get around any filters. Yeah. And so I don't know how how you could legislate that, <laughs> you know, effectively yeah, and people are avoiding the filters. I think the only way you could legislate that this doesn't happen is not to allow uh, people to just start a live stream. But right. I think that's also kind of a, a big part of how terrorism uh, kind of changes our society is that it is, uh, yeah. you know, destroying some of our liberal values uh, by making us so scared that we're going to destroy them for them. And I think it's not a reasonable price to pay uh, for being able to 100% prevent such a thing uh, to not have live streams. I mean, at the end of the day, I think it's much more important to try to stop uh, terrorist attacks from going ahead than try to prevent a live stream from being possible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's a really big point. I mean, I think it's incredible how much people seem to want to blame, you know, Facebook or platforms for the fact that people do bad stuff you know, via those platforms. Uh, it's We should be focused on the bad stuff that people do rather than yeah. the method by which they distribute it. But And yeah. to be honest, like there is an, a, enough bad stuff that platforms do that we could be talking about. <laughs> exactly. um, I mean, I am yes. by no means a fan of Facebook and they are really screwing up a lot of things, um, yeah. not just in, in terms of taxation and data protection, but uh, right now, 
uh, next week, the, uh, Facebook is actually rolling out its new anti-election interference uh, program for Europe. And it's mm -hmm. a complete nightmare because they are basically saying that uh, you are not allowed to do political advertisement in another country anymore, completely hmm. missing the point that we have Europe-wide elections right. with 27 or 28 countries participating, and they're completely destroying all the work that we've been doing in trying to create a common European political sphere by now saying, no, your Facebook advertisement are only run in Belgium. Or <laughs> like, it's completely, uh, yeah, nonsense. Wow. And I think there's enough to criticize about these companies. And yeah, uh, but yeah. yeah, you cannot expect them to just, uh, you know, be responsible for absolutely everything that a user may do. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, it's frustrating, too, because in, in focusing on blaming the platforms for things that the users do, it, it takes away from, from focusing on, on the actual problems of those platforms. Yeah. And I think, you know, we agree that there are significant problems and there, there are significant things that should be focused on and should be talked about, but we, we don't because everyone focuses on the other stuff. Yeah, <sighs> and I mean, also the copyright proposal, I think in the end we will find that it has strengthened the large platforms because they are yeah. the ones who set the industry standards that everybody else will have to comply with. So if content right. ID is the best upload filter in the world, then this is what everybody is going to have to use. Right. And, and of course, Google has already spent that $100 million. Yeah. And, you know, and, and that's very difficult for others to do. So it, it, you know, as a tool to supposedly punish those platforms, it, it has a very high chance of locking them in. It may be expensive for them to deal with this, but um, less of a burden than for, for other companies. Right. Yeah. Well, that's all depressing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wish I had some more positive news. Uh, perhaps, uh, yeah, just to say that European elections are coming up on the 26th of May. And uh, it looks like the next European Parliament is going to be a lot younger. So hopefully more digital natives in the Parliament. Also, there are most likely going to be more pirates because uh, the Czech Pirate Party is doing really well in the polls. And mm. hopefully the next European Parliament is just going to be a little bit more um, in, in touch with the Internet generation and will maybe uh, be more critical of these proposals coming forward. That is at least my hope. Yeah, well, well, I hope I hope that you are correct, um, and uh, we will see. But uh, I, I and I know you have to run, uh, and I know that you're very very busy. So I appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to 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 record this podcast and and to discuss these things, even as they they may be a little depressing. <laughs> right. Well, it was my pleasure, and uh, yeah, let's stay in touch, and hopefully. Uh, there will be more news about uh, the copyright proposal uh, either at the vote next week or in a few years in the courts. We'll see. Yeah. 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 Well, we will definitely be following it. So, again, uh, thanks. Thanks for joining on the podcast. Thanks for all the work that you do in the EU Parliament and, and, and for, you know, you, you've been the central source for letting everyone know what's going on for, for all this time. And, and uh, it's been really, you know, uh, incredibly valuable, I think, to everyone to, to, to really have a better understanding of all of this. So thank you so much for that. Uh, and uh, thanks to everyone for listening uh, as well. And uh, we'll be back next week. Thanks. Someone will get